Wow. So uh, Garrett's mother took the stand. Uh, she was the first witness called. And it got v- really emotional, of course, also really uncomfortable. She was asked a lot of questions about her relationships, not just with Nick Hillary, but with the the father of her son, Garrett, and some other people after that. And we were going through dates and when these relationships ended in kind of painful detail. Text messages, um, a tale of a drunken evening and uh, someone who brought her home and Nick Hillary who came by the next morning. Um, Lots of uncomfortable detail to be talking about in public at all and certainly in the courtroom. And the thing that might be most remarkable about that is who was asking those questions. It was the prosecution. And this is, we've gone from these big questions about DNA and legal proceedings to the inner workings and the inner conflicts of a couple relationships and a couple families. Hi, I'm David Summerstein. I'm Lauren Rosenthal. And I'm Britt Hansen. And this is Day by Day, the Nick Hillary trial podcast from NCPR. Uh, We're telling the story of this trial day by day to give you the information and help you sort of, you know, be virtually in the courtroom with us. Nick Hillary is on trial for the 2011 murder of a 12-year-old boy in Potsdam, Garrett Phillips. So today was the big day. The media, the national media was there. The The courtroom was full. Families of Garrett Phillips, families of Nick Hillary... And the two sides ready to go with the two opening statements. And it started with um, with Bill Fitzpatrick, district attorney from Onondaga County, who's helping Mary Rain uh, with this case. And what was his basic argument? That there was a mountain of coincidences and things that did not quite add up and lies that Nick Hillary had been telling over the past couple of years. And there was no way a reasonable person could think he was doing that for any reason other than that he had killed this young boy, Garrett Phillips. Every single fact in this case points to him. And at some point, Judge, with your God-given common sense and intelligence, coincidences stop being coincidences, and they start being proof of guilt. So that was sort of his opening, you know, his opening salvo. And then he uh, went into some evidence, some video evidence and other evidence that he was going to lay out over the course of the trial. Yeah, he said he had two pieces of evidence that would show that Hillary is the person who's responsible for this murder. And as we sort of proceeded through his remarks, which went on for quite some time, almost an hour, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, So there was there was. Videotape evidence from security footage at Canton Potsdam Hospital and the parking lot of Potsdam High School. Uh, They had images of a number of uh, Hillary's date books sort of showing that, you know, some of the appointments he had alleged he said he he went to weren't actually in his date books. And he's a guy who really follows his schedule. And so what's that about? One thing about the one more thing about the videos is they had this kind of fancy uh, display where they timed up the videos to the narrative of this half an hour. It was very hard for the people in the audience in the courtroom to see what exactly was going on. So I could see it from where I was taking photos. And at the same time, while they were going point, the prosecution was going point by point through, 
you know, where Garrett was believed to have been and where Hillary is alleged to have been, uh, Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick really started to use this language of um, Hillary was almost hunting. He used the he used the word several times hunting and that Hillary was looking for where Garrett was and then hunting him all the way home to where, you know, the prosecution is saying he then strangled him. And the overall narrative uh, here we should note is that um, Fitzpatrick portrayed Nick Hillary as a man who was obsessed with this relationship with Tandy Cyrus and with Garrett Phillips, who they laid out over the course of the opening, that Garrett was the one who got in between Nick and Tandy Cyrus and essentially ended their relationship, and that he killed him because of that. Because he was hunting Garrett, the little boy who had the audacity to dislike the great Nick Hillary. The evidence, Your Honor, is beyond compelling it approaches certainty. The many names that have been labeled on this defendant are the innocent man, the wrongfully accused. I want you to label him for exactly what he is, the murderer of a helpless 12-year-old boy, because he couldn't stand the fact that he caused the breakup with Tandy. And the other thing is that Fitzpatrick came right out of the gate and said, there is a narrative about this crime that's been playing out in the media for years, and it's one of racism, it's one of incompetence on the part of police. And he said, I just want to you know, make very clear that that is 100% not the case here. And yet, moments later, Fitzpatrick said, mistakes were made, big ones, in the investigation of the crime scene the night that Garrett was found on the brink of death in his family's apartment, that local police did not, despite clear signs that this was maybe a homicide, something bad had happened, uh, they did not treat the apartment like you normally would a crime scene. And he said, there's really no way back from that. Errors were made at this point, he said. Um, And one other thing that sort of references a lot of the media coverage up to this point um, is he does, Fitzpatrick did say, you know, Yes, the police focused on one person. And yes, because there was one person with a motive, one person, and that is Nick Hillary. Just sort of as a side note, observing Hillary through this whole opening statement, and really on both sides uh, during the opening of the defense and the prosecution, he was he was pretty expressionless. You know, the things that the hard hitting things were being said about him. And he, he sat, you know, in his chair without an expression on his face. And he did lean in a little bit more when we got to the opening statement of his team, of the defense, uh, which was given by uh, Norm Siegel. And uh, that's just a perfect segue to uh, move on to that. Um, So what was the case that uh, Norm Siegel made for the defense? I mean, essentially, a mountain of coincidences doesn't add up to anything. And he said over and over again, during the course of this trial, we will not see an eyewitness walk in and tell you they saw Hillary fleeing the scene of this crime because no eyewitness exists. And we will not see anybody conclusively saying that Nick Hillary was stalking Garrett Phillips down the street to his apartment because that witness does not exist. Not one of the people who will walk through the doors of this courtroom and sit in that chair will say, I saw Nick Hillary kill Garrett Phillips. And why? 
because it didn't happen. No one will come into this courtroom and say, I saw Nick Hillary sneak into the home of this child before he was killed. And why? Because it didn't happen. And no one, absolutely no one, will come into this courtroom and say to you, Your Honor, I saw Nick Hillary run out of Garrett Phillips' home after he was killed. Why? Because it didn't happen. The defense painted Hillary as uh, more affected by being notified of Garrett's death than than what the prosecution said. The prosecution said, essentially, you know, he didn't react in a way a guy who some kid he cares about or was close to should if he didn't know that Garrett was dead. But then the defense went on to say, you know, we actually have a witness who was there with with uh, Hillary when he found out and he was really affected by the news that he had heard. He said there's a quote, uh, I think, that um, uh, Nick Hillary, when he was first told by uh, the Potsdam police, is that right? Um, He said, oh, my God, I feel empty inside. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yes. They also began to try to dismantle this portrayal of Nick Hillary as obsessed uh, with Tandy Cyrus and obsessed with this relationship. Yeah, they made the point that Nick Hillary is a father of five children. He's a soccer coach. He's been a teacher. He's been a mentor to a lot of people over the years. And this just wasn't in character for him, this motive that the prosecution was trying to put together. I mean, one thing that Norm Siegel really tried to do during the opening statements was to just pare this down to the essentials. This is not a twisted crime of passion or anything you know, awful like that, as the prosecution was arguing, but rather that, you know, Nick had an alibi, could not have been in two places at once. You know, there were there were uh, questions about this meeting he had with a Clarkson University soccer player, Jacob Duff, who testified that there was no such meeting planned. And he said, well, the the reason for that is pretty simple. Um, They were on the phone discussing discussing, you know, the soccer team and the call dropped. Records show the call dropped and also that Nick called back, left a message. He didn't say what was in that message. And we may hear that later. uh, But he said Jacob Duff didn't check it for days. This was one of a new a new little piece of, of factoid that we'll be hearing about later in the trial uh, that was very interesting. Um, and he did say he said uh, he set up an alibi that essentially that Nick went home, that uh, his his daughter saw him there and that he then went to Ian Fairley's, uh, his assistant coach's house. And then he went to his practice. You will not see or hear any credible evidence of Nick or Nick's car approaching at or leaving 100 Market Street during the critical time for Nick exits the parking lot until Officer Mark Wentworth found the deceased. And why? Because he wasn't there. You can't be in two places at the same time. A couple other interesting things that came up uh, that the defense will obviously be talking about later. Um, there was apparently Hershey the police dog. Remember Hershey the police dog? He, uh, they said that uh, a dog, a police dog, uh, followed a scent from the apartment and went 
uh, west to the railroad tracks, quote, inconsistent with any path that Nick Hillary had, had took that day. And, and then Norm Siegel said, well, nevertheless, the police continued to pursue Nick Hillary. Um, there was also, um, we hear about that there was another potentially suspicious individual there. Yeah, that was kind of remarkable. Um, There was mention of a suspicious young white man in a hoodie in the parking lot of the apartment where Garrett and his family lived right around the time of the crime. One other person said they saw someone similar, that their dog freaked out and started barking. So this is kind of the first time that we've heard about, you know, a potential suspect or suspicious people in the area who are not Nick Hillary or John Jones. And as we're going to talk about, Jones came up quite a few times today. That's a really good good time to transition now to uh, Tandy Cyrus. So one last thing I just want to say about um, the opening statements is, you know, so much information sort of came at us as 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 the audience and certainly for the judge. Um, and this is just the beginning. And this is just all of this stuff is going to be developed in uh, greater detail. So this is just sort of little seeds that are being planted from both sides as they prepare to fully make their case, which this is just the beginning of that. Um, Okay, so we took a break and we went to lunch and then we came back. And the first witness who was called uh, was uh, Garrett's mother, Tandy Collins. They went into a lot of detail, kind of just about what her life looked like around the time that Garrett died. You know, she was living in an apartment in Potsdam. She had, you know, kind of just gotten out of this really messy relationship with Nick Hillary. For the first time, we kind of heard about exactly what that relationship looked like between the two of them. There were text messages that were put up and projected onto that big screen, and they sort of went through in detail. exactly what caused them to split. And it was clearly, you know, painful for the two of them from the content of those messages. Uh, But a lot of it had to do with differences in how they wanted to raise their kids. And there was a message from Tandy that said, you know, this has just been incredibly difficult. And I believe the direct quote was, how can we live in a house together with five kids, which they had between the two of them, if we don't agree on how to raise them, will we live apart for 18 years? How they wanted to bring up their kids was a huge point of contention. And uh, Hillary was a bit not necessarily a disciplinarian, but he was more strict and more into structure. There was a lot of repetition of the word structure and what the definition of structure meant to each. Nick wanted more structure. They talked about changing rules in the household, that there was no longer TV uh, Sunday through Thursday, that Garrett couldn't uh, go outside and play with his friends, which was the thing that he most liked to do, and that this really upset Garrett and his brother. And Tandy uh, testified that um, it caused a change in their physical behavior or demeanor. He, She said he was not the same happy-go-lucky kid when Nick Hillary was at the house. She said that they essentially broke up and they moved out of the house that they were all living in together uh, because she said um, the situation was not good for us and um, if my kids are not happy... Um, I want what's I, I don't want to be there. I want what's good for my uh, for for my children. I and mean, that's a paraphrase right there. Um, we also got into a lot of messy stuff about Tandy's relationship with Nick and Tandy's relationship with John Jones. 
So let's talk about what the prosecution was trying to establish by reading, having Tandy read all these text messages that she had with Nick, sometimes on nights that they went out drinking and dancing, uh, sometimes when they were having um, disagreements about uh, the future of their family. Um, why was the prosecution getting into all of this? What times, when were they intimate? When did they stop being intimate? When did they become intimate again? It was clear that there was a lot of ambiguity and a lot of confusion about what was happening in the relationship on the part of both of them. And I think in some ways it probably makes it a little bit easier to understand like how a person like Nick Hillary could have become obsessed with the situation because it was clearly hard for both sides. So in the cross-examination, Peter Dumas, the local attorney on the Hillary team, was doing the cross-examination of Tandy Collins. He provided alternative scenarios to explain Nick Hillary's behavior. Um, And he also talked a lot about John Jones's relationship with Tandy Collins and that there were things that were happening there that uh, may be alternative explanations as well for what was happening at this time. Yeah, that there was uh, there was a domestic incident with uh, John Jones where uh, he may have shoved Tandy aside at one point in the course of their three and a half years living together. And she did say that that was a factor in their decision to break up. But also earlier in the day, we heard that there was a domestic incident with Nick where he picked up Tandy in the middle of an argument after they decided to end their relationship during this kind of messy period. And he put her over his shoulder and carried her through the house. And she said, stop, I don't want you to do that. And he stopped and she left. So we're establishing that there are sort of things about both relationships that are, you know, not super healthy, maybe kind of alarming. Um, And also that Nick uh, didn't necessarily have violent tendencies or especially violent tendencies toward Garrett. Um, Peter Dumas, you know, asked repeatedly, did you see Nick hit, spank, lay hands on Garrett in anger? And Tandy said definitively, no, I never saw anything like that. And it got really emotional at times just because we're talking about um, this woman was talking about the death of her son and uh, she cried a couple times. Um, Also, uh, very early in her testimony, the second witness, Tandy's mother, Janet Paul, uh, she had trouble even saying the names of her children and grandchildren. It was so emotional to her. Um, So that brings us to the second and last witness of the day, uh, Janet Paul. The, this was a shorter, uh, shorter time period here, um, maybe 45 minutes or so. Um, and what was the prosecution sort of laying out with Janet Paul? Well, they wanted to go through this kind of handful of incidents. So Janet Paul worked at the same university where Nick was coaching soccer, and so did her husband. And there were three incidents that the prosecution walked through today where Nick had approached his ex-girlfriend's mom on the job and asked her to talk with him lengthy conversations of an hour or an hour and a half. Uh, encouraging her to tell her daughter to stay in the relationship, to come back to the relationship after it had faltered. Um, You know, Janet Paul said this made her really uncomfortable. She also didn't know Nick very well. They'd met on a handful of occasions. And so it was 
kind of, you know, overly emotional and intimate for her to have to be, you know, talking about this, especially at work. And she said that his behavior, his mood, the way that he talked with his hands seemed to indicate to her that he was really upset. And this got really contentious. The defense objected. I lost count of how many times uh, saying that, you know, she didn't know him well enough to be reading into his behavior. Peter Dumas, the local defense attorney, said Nick's Jamaican. He might talk with his hands. He might behave in a way that seems unfamiliar or strange to you, but it doesn't mean that he was yelling at you. Um, On cross-examination, the defense kind of teased that out. Um, And there was a very interesting point here uh, with Janet Paul where uh, Earl Ward was doing the cross-examination for the defense. And he basically teased out, okay, so you had these conversations once. You also had a conversation with him uh, on Christmas uh, dinner when you he came over to your house uh, when you were when you and uh, when Nick and Tandy were together. Um, you had these three long conversations where he was pleading to you to uh, help the, get back together with Tandy. Um, but then uh, the next day, uh, she, told police in a deposition, quote, uh, and this is Earl Ward saying this to her, it's you, it's your belief that Nick Hillary killed your grandson, and this is the day after the murder. And uh, she said yes. And I think that the inference, he sort of left it there, but I think is the inference that based on three to four conversations with Nick Hillary, that she was going all the way to drawing the conclusion that Nick Hillary killed her grandson. Well, there had also been this strange conversation that apparently she had had with Tandy months prior where she said she feared for her daughter's life and she felt she was in danger because of her relationship with Nick Hillary. And that was what the defense was really hammering away at. What was that based on? Why were you afraid of this man um, when you, yes, had had an uncomfortable conversation in your workplace, but like what drove you to that fear? There's been a lot to talk about here, a lot to think about. We're going to close on one more note. And this is something that happened at the very beginning of the day before the openings. And this was a real surprise where um, the defense uh, referenced a police memo that they had recently heard about. And they sort of fleshed this out a little bit in the press conference afterwards, um, a memo about a certain Gregory Brown, uh, a convict who was in Attica prison uh, that um, apparently police investigators had gone to visit and talk to about this case and that they hadn't received that memo. They had heard that maybe it contained exculpatory evidence um, for Nick Hillary and that they hadn't received this evidence as they should as a part of law for uh, discovery. Um, They later said in the press conference that they had received a memo, that there was a two-page memo and that they were going to review it um, and incorporate it into their strategy and into the later uh, parts of the trial um, as, uh, you know, of course, depending on the admissibility of the evidence and all that jazz. And I think that's the thing that really struck me, that there when the name of a person, a potential witness comes out in the middle of all of this that we haven't heard of before in nearly five years since Garrett's death, we're surprised. A lot of what we heard today was stuff that we had heard before. And I think that's kind of what it comes back to. This is not, you know, a groundbreaking legal case, a hard science, like we said before. This is really kind of 
down in the dirt work for the prosecution, building a strong but still circumstantial case against Nick Hillary after, gosh, so many years. Almost five years. So we're going to leave it at that. Um, We will have another podcast after tomorrow. Uh, There's lots more in here. We could probably talk for days about this, but we will not. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at news at ncpr.org. We're also live tweeting during the proceedings. Um, I'm at David NCPR. I'm at Laurenthal. I'm at BN Hansen. And we are back at you again uh, tomorrow. Thanks very much for listening.